Okay, so in this episode, I am here with my good friend, Ty Coleman. Ty is a mortgage broker, and he's going to tell us how mortgage brokers decide whether you should get a house or not. And uh, it's going to be really interesting. Full disclosure, I, I said Ty's a good friend. He, We attend the same church. We're the same small group of church. I mean, we're so I've known him for a long time. And he's agreed to come on and tell us what he sees behind the, you know, pull back the curtain and help us see. So, Ty, thank you for coming on the show. No problem, Darren. Nice to see you. In a world of incompetent bosses, micromanagers, and petty tyrants, one management professor claims that he can help you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. You are listening to The Leadersmith. Now, here is your host, Darren Gertis. Hey, so Ty, tell the audience uh, where you work um, and uh, so what exactly you do as a mortgage broker and where. Yes, so I'm in South Carolina and I'm a mortgage broker for Premier Nationwide Lending or uh, also loan officer. Um, And um, yeah, and I am that guy that ultimately says you're approved or you're denied. Um, so okay, but tell us how you, you get to that part. Like what exactly do you do? You don't go in the back and, you know, roll dice. You, you right. look through systematically, look through certain things and with the paperwork that that's generated and they either are or they aren't. Right. Right. Yep. So um, I will typically go through, your work history, um, employment history there, and, and see how uh, consistent your work is. And then also I'm gonna go through your credit um, to see what your uh, credit worthiness is. And um, I'm gonna go through income documents to see how, um, how much you make uh, per month and per year. And then also I'm going to uh, really uh, look at how much you have in the bank. How much have you been able to save over periods of time? And if you're if you have money to put down or for closing costs, uh, all those things are important. So, are you looking to deny people, or are you looking to loan to them? Why, like, what is your default setting? You want to do X. Which is it? Mm-hmm. I want them to get a loan. Okay. Uh, that that is my desire, but. Of course, we have regulations, so uh, we don't want to give a loan to someone that's going to foreclose uh, yeah. within a year or something like and that. that. And that makes perfect sense. Okay, right. so I asked you to sketch out the top ten reasons that people are denied. So you're going to go from ten to one. I'm I'm sure there's more than ten reasons, but we're going from the least important to the most important. So when we get to mm-hmm. one. That's the most important reason, but the least of the top 10 is what? Okay. The reasons that they're mm-hmm. going to be denied for a loan. Okay. So number 10 would be putting cash in your bank account all of a sudden. Why? Um, the reason why you don't want to do that is because there's a requirement of having your bank account seasoned for at least two months. Um, if you throw, um, some cash in there all of a sudden now we're looking at that that's a red flag and we're looking at all right is there um some kind of money laundering going on and things like that we have all these checklists that we have to uh check off uh according to uh, the patriot act so 
throwing money in there could be a red flag. And so we want to make sure that it's seasoned at least over two months. And so two months seems kind of an arbitrary thing. So that's a government regulation of two months yeah. or that, that's your rule? That's the government regulation. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, it could, theoretically, they could have just had their money under their mattress, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the government's going, or the lawmakers that decided on this have said, yeah, it's probably not right. They probably would keep their money in the bank. And and so maybe right. it's some funny business. And so is it about, like you said, Patriot Act? Are they worried yeah. about, um, you know, terrorists from the Middle East or are they? <laughs> well, that that's part of it. Um I know that seems like seems a little crazy for the average Joe getting a loan for a mortgage, but um, it but seems more. That seems more like they're trying to trick the system rather than that they're terrorists. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Okay, so that was number ten. Uh, putting yes. cash in all of a sudden. Number nine. All right, so um, number nine, changing your job in the middle of the process. Why? Uh, because that can push things back. Um, so so if you if you were to change your job in the middle of the process, we're gonna have to see evidence that you're making just as much or more than what you were making before. Um, right. So, you know, so we're gonna have to have at least two pay stubs, sometimes three, because you know, your first your first uh, week on a you know first week or uh, two weeks on a job you may have less hours than you would um, your normal paycheck. So you might not make, you know, 40 hours that week or something like that. Sure. Um, so sometimes it'll go up to three paychecks that we will need uh, to be able to make sure that you're making the same amount. So that could push the process back, like, you know, move it back a month or something along those lines or. Yes. That, okay. So what if they're going to a job, another job that is, you know, the better pay or what, I mean, is it just bad to change jobs during this time or is it, is it only if we just can't substantiate it? If we can't substantiate it pretty much because we need to see a uh, work history in the same field. That's uh -huh. part of that job history uh, that we need to see. So if you go from uh, a custodian to an accountant, those aren't going to be really related. Right. And we kind of, that'll throw off the whole deal. But if you go from, uh, an accountant with one company and you change to an accountant with another company, well, we're still good, but now we're going to have to just wait a little bit to see right. the checks come through. So if I'm hearing you correctly, either way it complicates it, but it could be really, it, it could scuttle it. I mean, it could destroy the, the process, right? Right. And remember, you have a seller of a property that is waiting for you. <laughs> so yeah, that's right. You know, we're thinking about the person getting the loan. We're, we're forgetting about the person on the other side of the equation who wants out. And I mean, right. it's costing them money every month in the process. Exactly. Okay. That, I mean, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. Okay. Number eight. Yes. Uh, okay. So not enough money to cover transaction costs. Okay? okay. Initially you would think that is uh, maybe a number one issue. Um, the, the reason why it's later on uh, down this list is because there are ways to get this transaction cost. Um, if you are, um, if you don't have enough down payment, there are some loan programs that will assist you with down payment. Like what? Uh, 
So and here in South Carolina, we have what we call the, the state housing um, program, uh, which is $8,000 down payment assistance. And then we have one called uh, Palmetto Home Advantage, which is uh, it can cover uh, four or 5% of your down payment. Right. So you, you'll have those kind of things uh, to help cover that transaction cost. Okay, so they're like first-time buyers and ones for teachers and things along those lines, right? Yes, yep. And and that one you mentioned for teachers is called Palmetto Heroes. That's a a, a loan program that happens uh, seasonal seasonally. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's a grant program where there's some money put in, and then um, once that money runs out, then it fills back up for the next year. Gotcha. So, um, so yeah, it's it's pretty seasonal. It comes and goes. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so we don't want to put in cash all of a sudden. We don't want to change jobs. We want to make sure that we have enough money, but there's a ways around it and you know the ways around it. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Number seven, what's the seventh sin? Okay. So, uh, debt to income being, uh, the, the debt to income ratio being too high. What does that mean? Explain okay, that. So please. basically, uh, most loan programs you need, um, 45%, you can't go over 45% of your income being taken up by debt. Okay. So we want to make sure that the debt that you have overall, that's including the potential house that you're going to buy, is going to be 45% or under um, that debt to income ratio. So that, that's that's what we're looking at. And um, so if you do USDA, then it's uh, 43%. So it's a little bit uh, stricter guidelines there, but we want to make sure that you're not going to be house poor. Um, that you know, if something happens, well, you know, if, if you're out of work for, you know, a few weeks, that you're not so strapped uh, with your debt that you can't make your mortgage payment. Okay. So using round numbers, if you make a hundred thousand uh, dollars, then you don't want to be have debts of more than forty five thousand dollars. And uh, I mean, uh, yeah, over, in your mortgage payments, is it just mortgage right. payments or is it all debt? It's like, all debt. Okay. So what, what, uh, what other things constitute debt? Uh, your credit cards, your uh, auto payments, uh, okay. student loans, uh, all those kind of things, any kind of installment uh, loan or um, revolving loan, which is your, your credit cards. If you have lines of credit open, those are all counted as your debt. And so this is why we have so much paperwork generated yeah. on, on <laughs> yes. your end because we're trying to, okay, I got you. Okay, so we don't want debt to be too high. How about right. uh, number six? What's a six? Number six, okay. Um, lies and surprises um, in your paperwork, okay? Now, obviously, if you were not aware of some things, um, you know, maybe there's a debt that you have out. I, I'll just give an example of one loan that I had. I won't say any names, but um, there is a, I had a guy who uh, he was going for a VA loan and he had a loan from uh, 1993 with the uh, Small Business Administration. And he didn't realize that he even had that loan out. Um and apparently his wife had uh, taken that loan out for him when they had some uh, damage with uh, their prior home years ago and back then. Well, anyway, he still owed that debt. And it came up in our research 
so he had to pay that off, but he didn't realize that was the case. So he had the funds to pay it off. So he was able to pay it off. Some people don't have the funds to pay uh, debt like that off. And then it ends up crashing the whole deal. Okay. So that for, in this case, it was an honest mistake. Have you seen yes. other surprises that were like intentionally deceptive? Yes. I, I've had people uh, try to commit mortgage fraud and we weren't able to get insurance on uh, the house that we were trying to, that he was trying to purchase. Um, and that just didn't go over well, obviously. Um, so I think I know what mortgage fraud is, but explain that to the well, audience. Well, this, I'll just say, um, Mortgage fraud, basically, one of the ways that you can commit mortgage fraud is say that you're living in a house, mm -hmm. um, it is your primary residence, and then when it's actually an investment property, okay. and if you use that investment property as a primary residence, you're, you're pretty much trying to cheat the system with taxes and things like that. So, um, so when you go and live in another property, uh, as, as that also is a primary residence. Now you have two primary residents uh, in which you're saying that you're living in uh, most of the time, which is impossible. So, um, so that is one way of committing mortgage fraud. Another way is maybe having other people live in a house uh, that you're paying on or you, you're paying on, but it's not, you're not actually living there. Things like that. Um, it, those are ways that you can commit mortgage fraud. Okay. So it turns out the government doesn't like when you commit fraud. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you told me about lies and surprises. What other surprises might be there? So uh, one of the surprises is that you can have more income flowing through the house. Okay. And if you're in a, um, a household income-based program, loan program, then if you're over the income limit for that program, that can throw off that deal. Um, right. So, so, and, and that includes anybody that works in the house. That could be uh, a teenager that's working. Um, wow. And, yeah. Okay. So, so, so this is like so, a, an incentive program to help people get, you know, the first home or something, and then, you know, you overqualify, so you no longer qualify, or you, you have a higher exactly. income, and so you no longer qualify for that program. Is that what you're saying? Right. Gotcha. Exactly. Yeah. So those are one of those, so those surprises that can happen. Okay. Number five, the fifth most important issue to avoid. Okay. So we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but it's the mortgage fraud with the second, um, the second residence. Okay. So uh, again, that is one that is just really um, something that uh, when I had that exam or when I had that uh, kind of deal happen, um, it squashed it right away. Yeah. Okay. As soon as, soon as we were trying to get insurance, that insurance, we couldn't get insurance on the house they was trying to purchase. And, and the reason why is because he already had insurance claimed out on another property and everything. Right. And the system will flag that kind of thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so then we had to, we had to stop that deal. Um, and honestly, you know, if I knew that um, and went ahead with it, then it's possible that I can get in trouble for that. So, yeah. And that makes sense, right? We don't want you committing fraud either. So, so you have to be exactly. an honest broker here. Okay. Number four. 
number four. Um, so default on government student loans, okay? Um, a default on government student loan will kill a deal right away. Uh, the government wants their money. They don't want you to hold back on your student loans. Um, uh, they, that will just end it right there. Why? Why? Why student loans as opposed to other things? Like you can have, you can run your credit cards all day. Yep, it's because it's the government. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Um, if there's any government debt that you default on, it will it will squash the deal. Okay. And it's just a rule for specifically for government loans. Um, if you are, um, you know, it, maybe if you if you have student loans that are in deferment. Uh, that's fine, uh, but uh, under certain loan programs, we might have to count count the the student loan debt at one percent per month. Uh, right. You're paying against your debt to income ratio. But if any of those government loans are in default, um, that's the end of that. We're going to stop there until you get that in order. Now you use the word deferment, and as a professor, I understand that, but people listening might not understand what deferment is. Can you explain that? Yeah. Um, so basically, deferment is when you are, uh, we we'll say, deferring your monthly payments for a later time. Uh, so you're basically, uh, I guess you can say, holding off your uh, monthly payments for a later time. Uh, as of when we went into COVID. Uh, everyone's student loans went to deferment uh, mm-hmm. as far as as part of the government pretty much standard there. Um, and then, you know, when, when they come out of deferment, then you have to make those payments again right. uh, to continue on. All right. Yeah, it's it's funny because as a professor, my thinking goes like this. Oh, if you go back and get your master's degree, and by the way, I can help you with that, with uh, getting your master's degree in business or leadership or whatever, you immediately go into deferment, right? So you're no longer mm-hmm. paying on yep. those student loans. You're actually in our program. So until you're done with our program, you're on student your student loan payment stops. And then you pay on the other side and, yeah. you know, the government's trying to incentivize certain things and that's what he's talking about. Okay. Yeah. So well, can I, can I add one more thing to that? Because you brought up a, sure, go ahead. a question in my mind is that um, if you are in school, right. Can you still buy a house because they're on deferment um, or do we still have to count it at 1% uh, if you're in deferment? Um, the answer is you can still buy a house. Um, and we don't necessarily have to count it at 1% if you're in deferment. If you have a letter uh, saying what your payments are going to be uh, when you start back up your payments. Oh, you're like a freaking encyclopedia on this stuff. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, I guess this, that's really good since this is your business. Okay. Number three. Yes. All right. Um, consistent work history. We touched on that a little bit. Um, I want to go in a little bit more detail about that. Consistent okay. work history. Um, or, well, I'll say inconsistent work history uh, is something that can, you know, get you denied. Let's start that one again. Okay. Yeah. So uh, inconsistent work history is something that can get you denied. But I want to go into that a little bit more. All right. So what we're looking for is at least two years work history in the same field, at least. Okay. Right. It's better if you're on the same job, but 
we understand if you are going to get paid on another job uh, a little bit better or you have better benefits, that's the explanation that we can put in there and we will be able to you know, uh, see the difference there. Um, when, when we do your, what we call a verification of employment, we'll be able to see the difference of your pay. Um, or if you have better benefits somewhere where else, I mean, that's definitely a reason to move to another job. Um, so if you move, if I'm hearing you correctly, if you move to a better job and it's clear that it's moving to a better job, not just you're, you know, got mad and left, but right. you went to something better then it counts toward your two years of that you're in that position. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. I never knew still, that. That's interesting. Yep. And here's the thing. It has to be according to the field that you're, that you were previously in now. Okay. Because if you go to another job and you, you're trying out a different kind of uh, field, you might not like that field and you might end up quitting that field and going back to something else that pays less. So we, we have to go off of uh, a little bit more history, uh, you know, to, to make sure that, all right, this is at least a field that he's, uh, he or she is used to or likes and has been in it, has been established in there for a little, at least, you know, two years. Um, those are key. And then I also want to say, if you've gone to school to, uh, and, and you got a job in the field that you went to school in, your time in school also counts. Oh, really? Work history. All right. Wow. You would need to get your transcripts to make sure that, um, you know, for that uh, paper trail. Um, but yeah, that counts towards your work history. Okay. So that makes sense. Uh, I'm trying to understand why you have to stay in the field rather than just working. I mean, like, what's, mm -hmm. what's the real, like, it seems like it kind of locks you into a particular path. But I guess mm -hmm. that's that gives the bank some comfort. It does. It, it, it does give the bank some comfort. It uh, basically, if if you have a a doctor, you know, that's going to perform surgery on you, but last year he was a, a I don't know construction worker uh, with no background history. Uh, you probably don't want that doctor. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. So we want to make sure that you're going to pay your mortgage. Um, so we don't want to see inconsistent work history where you're jumping from one job to another to another. Okay. And it's hard to trust that. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand. Okay, the number two, second most important reason. What do you say? Negative items on your credit. Okay. Um, depending on how recent these items are on your credit, and depending on the the loan type, um, that could stop a deal, kill the deal right there. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so if we have, um, let's say you have a collection that, you know, is less than a year old, um, you're going to have to satisfy that collection before moving on. If it's a really high debt, uh, like a big, a large balance on whatever that uh, account is, and you can't pay it, then we're waiting for a while, uh, maybe two years or so before you're able to purchase a house. Or if you find the money to pay that debt off, then uh, go ahead and pay that off. Uh, so, so those items, those negative items really impact um, your ability to buy. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, like if I was a bank, I'd be a little nervous about that 
kind of thing too. If, mm-hmm. if if I saw these negative items, okay. And then number one was uh, it sounds similar. Low credit score. You said when yes. we first talked about it, right? I said like, what what's the thing that really holds you back? Is that is that your number one? Yes, uh, number one is a low credit score. If your credit score doesn't meet the requirements of the loan, we stop there. Okay. Now you were a credit counselor in a previous iteration before this is a really interesting combination. Before Mm -hmm. you became a mortgage broker, you were a credit counselor. So tell us all about how the credit score thing works. Okay. Yeah. So when you, uh, in your credit score, um, you have a certain percentage of uh, your, your credit score that's calculated for your work history. I mean, your um, credit history, Uh, you have a new credit uh, category, and so on and so forth. You have a bunch of different categories going on there. And what, what the way your credit score is calculated is according to basically your good credit, how you are able to pay your bills. Um, if you establish new credit, sometimes that can be good. But if, if you have a bunch of inquiries on your credit report, that could be bad. Um, so that can actually bring your credit score down. How do you get these inquiries? Okay, yep, you, you get the inquiries by when you apply for a loan, uh, okay. for in, any type of loan or apply for a credit card, any of those things, that's how you get them. And if you're going around from, let's say car dealership to car dealership over and over again, asking for money, um, then that ends up negatively affecting your, your credit score over time. Um, uh, that's in a new credit category, which is 10% of your credit score, okay? So so what you wanna do um, is you wanna limit your inquiries. You want to make sure you pay all your bills on time. Mm-hmm. You want to, um, you wanna have your balances low. That's another big thing. You wanna have your balances low. So if you have a credit, uh, credit card, or a revolving credit, you want to make sure that the balance is low and and basically under 30% of your credit limit. That's where it really helps you, 30% or under. Um, so you want to make sure your balance is low and that way you're not using all of your limit. You have some backup there. So if you have a lot of credit cards, you want to close some of them, right? Um, no, you don't want to close them. Why? Now, because when you close credit cards, that'll give you an immediate drop because you lost credit. I know. Okay. Well, I'm glad I asked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you don't want to close them. Now you want to. You might want to uh, get them down to zero or get them close to zero, and just not use them. And and yeah, you you don't have okay. to use them over a period of time. However, if you don't use them for too long, the creditor will close them, and then your credit score will go down for for huh. a period of time. So it, it's tricky. You got to be able to uh, use it correctly. So once you get a credit card, um, you want to keep it open, but you want to use it correctly. I, for instance, there was a time where I had to build up my credit and I use uh, credit cards to help me build that up. So I had two credit cards and I kept the balances low. And that helped me build up credit because I didn't have a large usage of my credit, but I was still using it. And um, and now I just use it about every three months just to keep the credit card open. Gotcha. So 
that that's that's the way I I do it now. All right. So those are the top 10 reasons and we just went through them, but this podcast is all about leadership. So why are we talking to a mortgage broker? So here's what I want to do. Um, what do you see in the paperwork that the rest of us just don't see? Like, I mean, everything you describe, like, is it, is it pretty, does it jump out at you and go, yeah, this person's not getting a loan or yeah, this person's going to be a pretty good risk unless there's something I really just can't see. How do you like, do you have a feel for it right away? Uh, yeah, you, you kind of do. I mean, once you start to dive into paperwork, it's kind of like you kind of get a, a good understanding. Um, so we can see your spending habits because we'll pull bank statements. We'll see your spending habits. Um, are you someone that uh, overdrafts their account a lot? That's not that's probably not going to work if we see a whole lot of overdrafts in your account. Um, and and, and that, Character wise, that kind of lets me know that, you know, you might be an impulse buyer and you're, you're not afraid to, um, you know, take out more money than you have. OK, uh, which, you know, ends up being very dangerous financially and sure. where you might not be able to pay your mortgage. Yeah. Um, or uh, with with the credit, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll, I'll see some things in, in credit and it's like, well, you're not if, if you are not paying your bills on time and have, I see a lot of late payments. Um, well, now is, well, are you going to pay your mortgage on time? You know, um, those, those are the things that we look for. And, and, and you got to be able to, I'll say, lead yourself well um, to be able to, to get a mortgage. Yeah. So that, that leads me to my next question. So what drives the process of who's successful and not? It sounds like you're talking about choice and effect. Is there a conspiracy to keep people from owning homes? I mean, are the bankers just, you know, ah, uh, we don't want to let those people in. Oh, is no, that what's going on? <laughs> no, um, it's, it's really, it's really the, the person's behavior, okay. uh, money. So yeah, if, if there is a person that is, you know, I made the money. I'm going to spend it right away. You're probably going to end up in a situation where you can't afford to purchase a house or or anything like that, or bigger items because you you spend it too quickly. Um, you're not you don't have any savings, um, and, you, and you won't have uh, good credit because you're probably not going to be able to keep up with the payments. And also, your debt to income ratio is probably going to be really high. Um, mm -hmm if you are taking out a whole lot of credit so you can impulse buy and get what you want right here and right now, um, that patience uh, is key uh, when you want to build your credit up. Okay, gotcha. Um, now we're about out of time, uh, but if you're willing to extend the conversation, I'd like you to come back and tell the audience how to fix bad credit because you have that credit counselor history. Right. Yeah. Like, so if you can do that, I'd appreciate that. Now you told me, now this is quite a claim. You told me that you can fix just about anybody's credit, which mm -hmm. I find pretty remarkable. And that mm -hmm. with most people, you could do it within a year, like get them into that home. If they just do what you say. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now that's, that's, I'm sure there's an outlier there, but in general, I mean, if you can do that, that's pretty remarkable. So first, before we end, tell people how uh, they can get a hold of you. Like if they wanted to talk to you as opposed to any other mortgage broker after hearing this, mm -hmm. who, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, so uh, you can, first you can uh, give you my email address. You can email me at uh, T 
Coleman is a T-C-O-L-E-M-A-N at P as in premier, N as in nationwide, and then the word lending, L-E-N-D-I-N-G.com. Um, okay. That's my email. And then also um, my uh, work number is uh, 610-505-2514. And that, that is the way that you can uh, get in touch with me. If you want to apply, uh, you can go to TyroneColeman.com and you can apply for a mortgage there. Um, and I will be happy to assist you with. Uh, with well, thank you for making, you know, making yourself available to people in the audience. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Ty, thank you for coming on the program and providing us all that uh, information, peeking behind the curtain and uh, letting us know, like, this is how, like, they really do, the bankers really do want to lend the loans, but they have to be sure that they're going to get their money back. I mean, is that a pretty fair summary? Yes, that is. Okay. So in the next episode, we're going to talk about, you know, what to do if you need to fix your credit and you're going to lay it all out just like you did here, right? Yes. All right. We'll see you in the next episode. All right. See you.